We're in John chapter 17, a lot of different titles of this message. If you look in your Bible, you may have titles and subtitles and so on. Um, there's the high priestly prayer title. I chose prayers of intercession because that's what Jesus was doing here. I'll, you know, in thinking about praying, I'll tell you a little story. My dad was in the Army. I'm an Army brat. My dad was a chaplain, so I kind of grew up in that environment. We are living at Fort Bragg at the time. And I'm four or five years old. And I was just beginning my prayer journey, okay? So Christmas is coming up. So if you're a kid and you grew up in a house that prays, what are you doing before Christmas? Well, you start praying for stuff you want, right? Because you're viewing God in a certain way as a child. So I started praying for this big red bicycle. I mean, big red bicycle. So... I found out that my sister, who's four and a half years older than I am, that she was getting an easy-bake oven. Now, some of y'all, that may not resonate with you because you're so young. But if you're older, like Brother Dwayne here in the front front row, and others that I won't point out, I'll just point out Brother Dwayne, because Brother Dwayne is older than me, so that makes me feel good, makes me feel young. But uh, And you can Google this if you want to. I know you all have, you're on your phones anyway. If you want to Google an easy bake-up, but that was like the bomb, man. That If you're a girl, that's what you wanted because you could bake these little cakes and things in it. Had a light bulb. It was pretty slick. So my sister was dying to get this easy bake oven. So being four or five years old, it struck me I can make a deal with her. Now, remember, I've been praying to God, please give me this red bicycle. All right. I doubt my sister was praying for the Easy Bake Oven, but she may have been. I don't know. I don't want to put her down in that way. But so I made a deal. I went up to her and I said, look, my sister's name is Melinda. I said, look, Melinda, if you tell me, because I knew she knew what I was getting. She knew that I knew what she was getting. I said, look, if you tell me what I'm getting, then I'll tell you what you're getting. So she agreed. I said, "Okay, you go first. So she said, you're getting that red bicycle you wanted. I thought, that is awesome. I've been praying for that. I'm getting that. Now, what am I getting? I said, I ain't telling. (laughs) And to this day, she's still mad at me about that. Okay? So there are different ways of praying. Now, I graduated from that. I graduated in different kinds of prayers. Then, Then I started praying over my food. And maybe some of you pray over your food. It's a good thing to do, especially if you're out at a restaurant. Because it is a little bit of a testimony. All right? Now, don't leave no little tip if you're praying over your food in a restaurant. Okay? you got to leave a good one. All right? At least 15. Preferably 18 to 20. You know? And that way you can also say to your server, hey, let me pray for you. We're getting ready to pray over our food. How can I pray for you? And most of them will say something. And it's a little bit of a testimony you can get into. So that's pretty cool. Do that too. So I graduated praying over my food. And then after that, I started doing the things like, well, let's pray before I go to sleep. Okay? And my parents are leading in this, obviously. So I'm praying before I go to sleep. We had family devotions, which parents, if you have children, you know, at home, and you're not doing some kind of family devotion with them, that's a good thing to do, especially before they go to bed. So do some family devotions. So we prayed like that. At some point, I learned to pray that shopping list prayers, kind of like I did when I was doing the bicycle thing. I started praying that shopping list. Y'all ever done that? Don't look at me like that. You know you do. God, I want that big fancy car. 
God, I want that big house. I want this. I want, you know, we pray those shopping. So I got into that. I've kind of graduated in those shopping list prayers and, and so on. But then I moved into, God, I'm in this jam. <laughs> I've really messed up. And if you'll get me out of this, I will go to that third world country and tell everybody about you if you get me out of this jam. You ever prayed that one? Yeah, because you messed up. Don't look at me like you know you did. What kind of prayers does God want us to, to pray? And little by little I started praying over things like, God, and this is a very spiritual thing to do, rain your holy fire down on my enemies and those people who did me wrong. <laughs> you ever pray those? That person did me wrong. God, rain that holy fire down on them. I want to see them consumed. Then you start thinking, oh, I've done that too. I'm about to get consumed with, you know, get away from the lightning bolt that's about to drop. So I did some of that stuff, and that's not always the holiness or the holiest prayer of all. But in all seriousness, I finally learned to start praying for others and that he would put people in my path to share Christ with. So what's your prayer life like today? We're going to look at a model here, if you will, where Jesus prayed basically three different kinds of prayers in John chapter 17. You know, and as as followers of Jesus, I think we go on this prayer journey kind of similar to what I was describing. I mean, if you're anything like me, that you've probably done that kind of thing. You've gone on this this prayer journey and of how and what to pray for. And as we become more Christ-like in our walk, in our walk with the Lord, as we're spending time in the Word, consuming the Word, if the Word gets us in us, then it becomes a part of us, and that's what starts coming out in our speech and in our actions, right? Okay, so as we do that, we learn to to pray and become more Christ-like in our walk. We learn to really what to pray for. Because if I love Jesus the way I should, then I'm going to pray the way that Jesus would want me to. Okay, so our prayers become more like what we read in the Word of God. And today, we have this opportunity to learn and see what Jesus prayed for in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles or your electronic device, or if you're looking up on the screen, we're going to look at chapter 17. Obviously, I don't have the time, we don't have the time this morning to break down every single verse in a way that I wish we did, but that's okay. We're going to do a little survey over the first five verses, and then we're going to get into a section and chew a little more. So the first five verses, essentially, it's Jesus' request for himself. Think about where we are in the book of John. Because right after chapter 17, Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to go through that bogus trial and all that stuff, which was all part of God's plan. Okay, remember that. It's still part of God's will for him. Because he's going to the cross. That's what happens after chapter 17. So you know that's on his mind, that's in his heart. So in the first five verses of chapter 17, look how he, he just starts off. I like how he says this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his high eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your Son, and so on. And I'm not going to read all that. Who's he praying to? He's praying to his Father, man. Think about that. If Jesus, the Son of God, part of the Trinity, which I fully don't understand because my finite mind can't, handle those infinite kinds of thoughts, but he's praying to his Father in heaven. If he's praying to his Father, what should you and I be doing? Man, we ought to be praying to, haven't we? 
Okay, so he's praying to his Father in heaven. And look at the things he's talking about. He's talking about requests for himself, okay? Because he knows what's getting ready to happen. He's glorifying his his Father. He's giving glory to his Father. But he's also praying, hey God, look at verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He knows what's about to happen. Okay, so those first five verses... Jesus is praying for himself. The second section we're going to look at is how Jesus inter- or is Jesus' intercession for his disciples, and that's going to be verses 6 through 19. And then we'll really focus in on 13 through 19. But just starting off there, Jesus has this intercession because it, it, it just reveals his concern and his love for his disciples. Sometimes they're referred to as the apostles. So look there in those verses 6. Uh, six, well, let's look at six through eight. So in six through eight, and I'm not going to read all that. You can read in your version there. But with these words, he's basically saying about his disciples that they have obeyed his word. They're men just like me and you. Okay? They had their sinful things going on in their lives. They had temptations and all this kind of stuff. Some of them were fishermen and different things, different trades and so on. So they had their issues in life, yet they, for the most part, they were following Jesus because they found him to be true. They found out, hey, this must be the Messiah. So he is praying and interceding for them. He's basically praising his disciples for responding to this message that he has presented to them. And they're seeing him perform miracles. They're walking with him, living with him, eating with him, following him. So he is praising them for doing what they did. And it does kind of beg a question. Are you and I doing that? Are we following the Lord like those disciples did? Think about what they put on the line. Just about every one of them was martyred. That means they were killed for their faith. How about you, man? You willing to die for your faith? Am I willing to die for my faith? It's pretty heavy stuff. So this faith that... Jesus was manifest, manifest in their obedience because they believed in his divine mission. Because he's telling them, man, I'm, I'm headed to the cross. The Son of Man, he's come here to actually die. And that's a heavy thing to think about um, as you look at Scripture that the, these disciples were going to uh, see that happen and believe that and follow that. So in verses 9 through 12, as we're kind of skimming through before we really zero in, starting in verse 13, Christ's prayer was really particular for those 11. Because remember, Judas here in just just a very few, few short verses, he's going to do what? He's going to betray him. So from the very beginning, Jesus knew who he was. He knew what was going to happen. He still followed God's plan, didn't he? He let it happen. He let it take place. So he's basically, again, he's praying to the eleven. And even though this is this prayer is specifically to the apostles, there's also a little dual meaning, and that's for me and you. Think about that. Even though he's praying and uplifting his disciples, it's also a blessing for us because here today at Tylertown Church on a Sunday morning in Clarks, Vegas, Tennessee, you and I are reading the same deal. And what do we learn from that? Do we learn to be like those disciples 
Now they had, again, you know, they had their times where they didn't do everything just right. But they were trying to follow God's plan in spreading the good news of redemption and planting the church and starting the church that has blown up, if you will, across the world. And now you and I are part of that today. So we're blessed to be here and see that because they're going against the world system and we're getting ready to jump into that. So this holiness in what they're doing, this Jesus praying to His Holy Father. And this is one thing I've always thought. If I had to pick one of God's most outstanding characteristics, to me it's holiness because everything flows out of that. Because God's holy, He loves sinners like me and you. Because God's holy, He cannot stand sin in His presence. Because God is holy, He sends Jesus to the cross to take the punishment that you and I deserve because our sins are so horrible in the eyes of God. And because of those things, Jesus willingly gave up His life for you and for me, that we might have forgiveness of sin when we put our faith in Him, when we confess our sin, repent of it, and trust the Savior and follow Him. That's a holy, holy situation right there. That's a holy transaction. So this holiness is the basis basis for believers' separation from the world. You know what it's like. You live in this world just like I do. It's tough out there. There's a bunch of mess out there being shoved down our throats all the time. And are we going to separate ourselves from that world system? I didn't say go live in a cave somewhere, go run up on a mountain and build a compound and and never engage with other people. I didn't say that. And we'll say this again here in a few minutes, but you and I are supposed to be in the world but not of the world. Okay, we're going to jump into 13 through 19. So I'm going to read these verses out loud and then we're going to go back and... Break them down a little bit. So starting in verse 13, and uh, it goes like this. If I can find my verse there I'm looking for. Oh, there it is. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. Remember, this is Jesus praying. He's praying to his, his Father up in heaven. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We spent a lot of time here. A lot of time. Let's look at verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What does joy look like today to you? You know, that red bicycle I got when I was four or five years old made me happy. But it didn't bring me that deep joy down in my soul. Right? Things don't do that. Sometimes happiness is based upon circumstances. Getting that big red bicycle was a a happy circumstance for me. 
But I can tell you what joy is. That's when I came to Christ. That's joy. Sometimes that word joy is broken down like an acronym. Jesus first, others second, and you last. Or you third, if you will. Now think about that if we live by that mantra here in verse 13. That joy. I'm going to have the joy of Jesus in my life if I put Jesus number one. And then I put those around me, number two. The problem is the world gets a lot of that out of order. If you ask the world, people out there, what's the most important thing? Well, it's family or it's my health. Those are usually two things that you hear so much. It's family or it's health, family or health. Those things are important. But in my Bible tells me Jesus is number one. Okay? So what is my frame of reference? Do I go by what the world system says? Do I go by what Hollywood says? Or do I open up my word of God and go by what Jesus says? Okay? So my joy is fulfilled today because I'm following Jesus. And you and I need to realize that, that the disciples did that. Joy came to them because they knew his words were true and that he had conquered the evil one. And when he dies on that cross and God raises him from the dead, three days later, Jesus... He conquered death. Now check that out. How many people you know have done that? Everybody I know, my parents died years ago. Hadn't seen them since. But I'll see them someday in the future because I'm going to see them in heaven. That brings me a lot of joy too, by the way. See, the ones who led me to the Lord and were my parents and raised me in the ways of the Lord. That's a joyful celebration right there. I look forward to that. So Jesus conquered the evil one and he brought eternal life to these disciples because they've been looking for the Messiah and here he is. Now how awesome would it have been to live in that day? Verse 14, it says, I have given them your word. Again, Jesus speaking, praying to his Father. Talking about these disciples. I have given them your word. Father, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them. Now I can tell you what, if you go out there living for the Lord, there's going to be some people out there going to hate you. They're flat going to hate you. And we're not going to do this today because it would be really weird, especially online if we did this. So we're not going to do it. Okay, I don't want to do anything really weird. Because, you know, we just don't do that in church. But have you ever been into a completely dark room? Man, you can't see this far in front of you. Completely dark. Can't see nothing. Then what happens when you turn on the light? The light chases the darkness away. And all of a sudden, that, that dark room that you previously couldn't see anything in, man, it's, it's lighted up. It's lit up, Right? Because the light dispelled the darkness. It chased the darkness away. And that's what Jesus does. And when Jesus' light, when it comes into the world, and we live that way, exhibiting that, it is exposing the sin of people around us. And when our lives are invaded by the Holy Spirit of God, and when we receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and we begin to follow Him, guess what? His Holy Spirit is starting to chase that sin away. And I'll tell you this, as an older Christian than a few of you, the most miserable person in the world is the believer who has one foot in the things of God and one foot in the things of the world. Because, man, that's riding the fence. 
And there's something that the Bible says, I'll vomit you out when you do that because you're lukewarm. Okay? So the warning to us there, and I'm chasing a rabbit, but that's okay. We'll chase it down. The warning there is that you and I need to make sure we stay close to Jesus and not chase those things of the world as believers or we're going to be miserable because the Holy Spirit lives in us and that same Holy Spirit that will dispel the darkness of the world around us, it'll also get a hold of us when we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, huh? Do you know what I mean? Okay. And I struggle with it just like you. Temptation comes to me too. All right? So we need to put our faith in Jesus and follow him. So we chased that rabbit, but we caught him, okay? So verse 14 tells us that these disciples were valuable because they had received the word of God. This satanic world system hates them like it hates us if we live for the Lord. And we've got to make sure that we're sold out to Jesus. All right. So here's a question. I kind of alluded this earlier, but I made a slide for this. You see it up there? Brothers, let's do that brothers and sisters one. Yeah, let's go to that next. Yeah, there we go. Brothers and sisters, are you part of the world? How are you living? Slides for me too. How are you living? If I hire a private investigator, follow you around. And he's got a video camera. Or he's got a iPhone Pro 14, 14 Pro, or however you say all that, whatever. He's taking video of everywhere you go and taking that of me and, every, and it's picking up everything I'm saying. And what if it had these superpowers that could even get into my thought life and knew what I was thinking and what you're thinking? Well, what would we find out about each other? We might be a little embarrassed today, huh? Yeah. So what do we do? We get back in that Word of God and follow that Word. We read that word and do what it says. Okay. Verse 15. Let's read that again together. Verse 15 goes like this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. A lot of us just want to check out. You ever want to check out? I mean, some days I want to check out because I'm sick of what I see coming through that television. And some days I want to pick it up. And I want to throw it through a window. Okay? Can anybody agree with me on that one? All right. I got three of you, four of you. Okay. All right. We're moving. we're going to start we're going to start the wave or something. Y'all are going to all agree before we leave. I watch a lot of football and sports and stuff like that because a lot of that other stuff I just can't handle. I get sick of it because it's the world. It's Hollywood feeding me the world system, and then all that soaks in my life, and then it comes out. And so, you know. I know I'm stepping on some toes. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Not really. So, you know, it is what it is. But we are surrounded by that. God didn't say, Jesus didn't say to take us out of the world. We're supposed to live in this world and be a light, okay? Like salt. Man, you put some salt out there, it's going to salt that food up. You put it in a cut, in a wound, it's going to sting a little bit. When we share the Word of God with people around us who are lost, it stings a little bit. But some of them, it turns into light and they come to the Savior. But God didn't call us to sit there on our behind and do nothing and to say nothing. He didn't, he didn't save us to go live in a cave somewhere and pull ourselves out of the world. He saved us because He loves us, for one. 
but in order that you and I can go out and share the love of Christ and share the message of Christ so that other people can come to salvation before it's too late. So we're supposed to be in this world, as it says in verse 15, but we're not to be of this world. So make sure that you live here and you work for Jesus, but you're not stained by the sinful world system that's all around us today. I have some friends that purposefully go and make friends with lost people. They play ball with them. Pastor Herb does some of that. You know, he talks about going down and playing, playing basketball with some of these dudes. And some of these guys, they don't know the Lord. And part of the reason he goes is so he can share Christ with them. I've shared Christ with people on the tennis court before. I've had some, uh, I like to play golf too. I've had someone sharing a cart with me. Well, they're my prisoner for however long we're playing. <laughs> if it's 95 degrees out there, they sure don't want to walk and carry their bag right then. So uh, i got a prisoner. I can talk to them about the Lord for like two hours, you know. Hey, there's all kinds of ways to do that. Make some friends with some non-believers around you. doesn't mean you go and do what they do necessarily if they're doing the wrong thing. But you can make friends share Christ with them, can't you? Co-workers, share Christ with your co-workers. I know this is all harder than what I'm making it sound like. I get that. But build some relationships with lost people and share Christ with them. It's very important that we do this. Look at verses 16 and 17. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And this is Jesus praying again, talking about his disciples. So these disciples are not of this world, just as he's not. And then verse 17, he says, and here's what he's saying, God, here's what I need you to do for them. He's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. A lot of people are out there looking for truth. And a lot of people in our world, that truth just, it kind of bounces all around. It wavers, man. It's, it's all over the place. Uh-uh. There's always truth. That truth is Jesus. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. So what I need to do is read the Word of God and then put into practice what I read, right? Because truth is a person. So if I read about Jesus and what He says then I know what the truth is. And what did my Bible say also? And that truth will set me free. You want to be free from sin? Then read about the truth of Jesus. Follow Him. Do what He says. And you are free because you have found the truth. And there's a lot of people out there looking for the truth in all these wrong places. And it is not there. They're finding a falsehood because the world is run by Satan. And God allows this. Remember, God's got him on kind of like a leash, or if you like to fish, if you've ever had a fishing pole with a rod and reel on it, you know, he just kind of lets him go out and do some stuff, and then there may be some times he just reels him in a little bit. Or what. Remember, God's at the other end of that line. And our, our Bible tells us someday, like in the book of Revelation, he's going to take care of all of that. He's going to take care of Satan. But right now, he lets him go out there and to a certain extent within parameters that God has set. He lets him run the world. And that's why you see the world in its situation. And our flesh enjoys a lot of that stuff. Sin can be fun for a season. But then it tears us down because it's false. God wants us all a part of the truth. 
But remember, God is all in control of that. And Jesus is saying, sanctify them. In other words, set them apart. Set them apart for a special service. The special service of the apostles was to follow him. And then when he died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. He spent 40 days with his followers. And then what happened? He ascended up into heaven to be on the right hand of the Father. And then he sent who? He sent the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to live inside of you and me and those disciples back in that day, his followers. And that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to show us what truth is. So if I'm reading something, "Eh, that didn't sound quite right. It's probably because that Holy Spirit's interceding on my behalf and pointing out, no, that ain't the truth. Open up that Bible. The Bible tells you what's true. And then it comes down, what are you and I going to do with that? Right? Okay. Groovy. That's an old old word that means cool. So remember, you've been sanctified. You've been set apart for special use, just like these disciples have been. And we need to change our thinking that we don't think the way the world system does, but we think the way that God wants us to think. Okay, we're moving on down here. Look at verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. They've been sent. God sent Jesus. Jesus is up there in heaven. Man, he's living with the Father. I mean, think about Think about that. If you want to get freaked out a little bit, go turn in your Bible, I think it's Isaiah 6, if I remember correctly, and see that vision, if you will, of Isaiah and, and what he gets this little glimpse of God. Man, what, what would that be like? So Jesus is up there with the Father. But God sent him down here for me and you. And in the same way, not exactly the same way, because you and, I, you and I can't die on the cross for people's sins. But he sent these disciples... And they turn the world upside down for the Lord. And that's what God wants me and you to do. He is sending us. We're sanctified when we turn our lives over to Jesus. We're sanctified for special service. Because we're now spreading the word of God. We're spreading truth. We have the answer for all those people around us that are looking for truth. So make sure... As verse 18 says, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them in the world. And then verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. What an important thing. Jesus set himself apart to follow his father's will, to follow the will of the father. You and I need to set ourselves apart. It doesn't mean I go act holier than thou than people. I just tell them what the truth says. It's not my job to change their lives. I just tell them what the truth is. That's up to the Holy Spirit. Okay? I tell them to go and read the Word and obey what, they, obey, obey what they read. So Christ's followers are not to be in the world, or to be in the world, but not of the world. And so the disciples were set apart for this holy service in order to follow Jesus, and you and I are the same way. Um, our last few minutes, we're going to just take a look at the, the last verses 20 through the end of the chapter, 20 through 26. But I did want us to see what Jesus was praying for his disciples. So this third part, Jesus' intercession for future believers is verses 20 through 26. 
And I don't know about you, but when I was reading over this passage, I thought it was pretty cool that Jesus a couple thousand years ago was praying for me. Now think about that. You're sitting in your chair right now. Sit there and think about a couple thousand years ago, John 17, Jesus is praying for you. Son of God's praying for you. How awesome is that? I don't know anybody 2,000 years ago was praying for me. But I know Jesus was praying for me. That ought to get you excited today. And what was he praying about? Look at some of these things there. Verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, but also, in other words, I'm not only asking for my disciples, my leaven, if you will. I'm not only asking for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Because some of us, well not some of us, all of us, if we're Christ followers in this room today, a lot of that is because of these disciples. Because God invaded their lives. They did what they were supposed to. Other people got saved, and then we have all these generations of saved people to it finally got down to us, and we got saved by hearing the word. My parents led me to the Lord. Someone probably led you to the Lord, whether that's a pastor on a radio while you're driving down the interstate. I don't know, but some somewhere there's probably someone that got involved in that. So to me, this is pretty pretty exciting stuff. So, But also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as Father, just as you, Father, in me and I in you. So there's a lot of ideas of unity here that he, he's, he's finalizing this chapter. He's prayed for himself. He's prayed for his disciples. And now he's praying for us. We've received the same word that his disciples received. He's praying for unity. He didn't want us all to be fighting with each other and stuff like that. We're supposed to love each other. If you ever have kids or you have cousins or relatives or friends or co-workers or whatever and they start fighting, well, you get in there and try to be a peacemaker. Tell them to love each other because God loves you. Look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus was praying for you today because he wants you with him. Who do you want to hang out with today? You want to hang out with Satan and all his cronies? Or do you want to hang out with the one who's given you life? I want to hang out with Jesus. I want to hang out with the Lord. And someday when my time is up, and I hope I'm raptured, just saying. I'm throwing that in for free. If you don't understand what that word is, if you're raptured, that means, man, you reach that time period according to what the Bible says. Now, there's disagreements about what the order of events are, and I get all that. But if that order is the way I think it is, before um, we had the Battle of Armageddon and the thousand-year reign of Christ and all that, there's this little period of time. It seems like the Bible's indicating that believers who are alive at that time, before all that's ushered in, get taken up. So I've always wanted that to happen to me. I thought that would be pretty cool. But I may die a physical death, and that's okay, too. I'm still going to wind up in heaven with the Lord. So either way, I win, right? We win in the end. Remember that. We win in the end. No matter what happens down here, we win in the end if we're Christ followers. That will get you fired up today. Get you pumped up. I can go beat the challenges out there. Whatever's going out there, I meet it because I win because I follow Christ. All right, we got to wrap this up.
I find, find this water before I lose my voice here. <coughs> now we're going to talk about commitment. So what about you today? What about you? You've heard the word. You've read the word today. Are you going to commit right now to read the Bible and obey what you read? Are you going to commit right now to read the Bible and obey what you read? A number of years ago, I was at another church in town, way before I went to ministry. I was a lot younger in those days. It was a long time ago. And, we, and I was working with students. They call them, we used to call them youth. Now they're students. Okay. But back in those youth ministry days, the uh, youth pastor guy we had, he invited this dude to come for a weekend discipleship thing, like training and stuff. And this guy was a power lifter. That means he can lift a lot of weight. And he at one point had been involved in the Olympics. And he had become the chaplain to the United States Olympic power lifting team. You know, guys are trying to win the gold medal for lifting more weight than anybody else. Which is probably hard to beat the Russians back in that day because you know what they were doing. Anyway, no, that's, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have brought that up. hope I didn't offend anybody. If I did, you come to me and I'll apologize. But I remember something he said has stuck with me to this day, and you've probably heard this before. He said, if you really want to grow with the Lord, talking about reading the Word, he said, first thing you do in the morning is you read the Word and you pray. Then the last thing you do before you go to bed is you read the Word and you pray. Because he said, here's what happens when you do that. You start your day filling your mind with the things of God, and then you end, end your day filling your mind with things of God. So commit today to read the Bible and obey what you're going to read. Second thing, commit right now to be more Christ-like. So in other words, when you look at the mirror, I, I shaved around my goatee this morning. I was looking in the mirror to do that, you know. But really, when I look in the mirror, I ought to see Christ. I ought to see the image of Christ. Not literally. That would be cool. But I ought to be following the Lord so closely. In other words, when people look at you, and when you look at yourself in the, in the mirror, you ought to see Christ. Because you've become so Christ-like because you're reading the Bible. And you're obeying what you read. Commit right now to pray for divine appointments to share Christ with others. A divine appointment. I promise you. I promise you. Testimonies happening any time I pray for the Lord to put somebody in my path to share Christ with, He does it. Then all I got to do is open that mouth. I got to open my mouth and start telling about the Lord. So commit right now. To pray for divine appointments, share Christ with others. And then here's a question. What would it look like for all of us if we did these things like in our family, in our neighborhood, where we work, in this church? What would it look like if we did all this stuff? Man, it'd be different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be awesome? Because we'd see more people coming to Christ. Now, we know not everybody's going to. And we don't have a whole lot to do with that. All we do is share. But what would it look like if you and I shared Christ and we were sold out to Jesus that wherever we went, we're sharing the Lord with somebody else? Man, wouldn't that be a better place to be in?